tried on purpose. I think uh, I still remember as a kid, you know, we were told to read the Gospel of John as new Christians, and uh, it's certainly on one level that's okay, but there's a lot going on here, and, and uh, the temperature gets turned up. Uh, so listen to the Word of God that comes to us from John chapter 2. One word, and I'm going to talk more about this, okay? The word that's translated Jews in John's gospel, remember John is, the writer of John, we don't know for sure who it is, but is Jewish, okay? He's a Jewish Christian, or, and uh, so the word that's translated in the NI, New, or New uh, Revised Standard as, as Jew can also be translated Judean, okay? And I think that the writer of John, the community of John, had a beef, if you would, with the Jerusalem establishment, at least the Jewish Jerusalem establishment. In a lot of ways, they, he holds them responsible for the destruction um, of Jerusalem. But he may also have a beef with the, the Jerusalem church establishment. So we'll talk about that throughout the book. So when you see the word Jews in, in John's gospel, it's probably, it can be translated Judeans. And I think it's a specific group. So sometimes I will paraphrase it as Jewish leaders. And uh, so just give you a heads up on that. Uh, it'll be particularly critical in some of the later chapters in John. Okay. The Passover of the Jews was near. And Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple, he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and the money changers seated at their tables. Making a whip of cords, he drove them out of the temple with the sheep and the cattle. Um, he also poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. He told those who were selling the doves, take these things out of here. Stop making my father's house a marketplace. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. The Jewish leaders said to him, what sign can you show us for doing this? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. The Jewish leaders then said, this temple has been under construction for 46 years. And will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. When he was in Jerusalem during the Passover festival, many believed in his name because they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, would not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to testify about anyone, for he himself knew what was in everyone. In the old King James Version, he knew what the measure of a man was. That's how it was the old translation. May God bless the hearing and reading of his holy word. Let's pray. Lord, in the midst of the many words, both within and without, may you, the living word, bring clarity to our hearts, to our faith, to our souls, to our minds. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. How we feel 
about iconoclastic actions, those gestures that people make to upset the status quo, those prophetic symbolic actions, depends probably on how we feel about the icon that they are attacking. Now, I personally do not support the literal destruction of icons. That's where the word comes from, iconoclast, right? From those Byzantine um, monks and priests who tried to destroy all the images. I don't agree with the early Protestant reformers who took down religious art during the Reformation. Our Puritan forefathers and mothers would not be happy with what we've done to the sanctuary here, okay? They even walled up the organs, which is a shortcut to restoring the organ, right? But that's not what we want to do either, right? But we like watching these iconoclastic events. I think like in film, okay? Now, this is a long time ago, but I think we all, if you've watched the movie Network, we all love Peter Finch sticking his head out the window and yelling that I'm not going to take this anymore. Or even a higher art film, Animal House, um, <laughs> when they decide to disrupt homecoming with a futile and stupid gesture. I have to admit, when Elton John's Burn Down the Mission comes on my radio, or after particularly bad meetings throughout my life, I've gone to Bruce Coburn's If I Had a Rocket Launcher. <laughs> and sometimes those songs give me comfort. Some of the most inspiring moments in history are iconoclastic. The Boston Tea Party. Those brave young adults who defied segregation at the lunch counters. The tearing down of the Berlin Wall. All those were, were powerful iconoclastic events. But my guess is we probably all have a little mixed feelings about them throwing soap soup at the Mona Lisa. I'd be okay if it was a Picasso, but not so much Mona Lisa. <laughs> my wife and I disagree. Or in September 9th, 1980, when the Berrigan brothers threw blood on nuclear, uh, nuclear weapons place, or bringing a Confederate flag to the Capitol, right? How we interpret these events really depends on what we believe, right? But what are we to make of Jesus's actions? Now, Herod's temple, it was huge. It took up the whole city. It was one of the great wonders of the Eastern Empire. I even I, I, uh, the idea of 46 years to build, it, it took, that's pretty accurate. It took, it took decades to build this temple. It was not done at the time of Jesus' life. And so this idea of the money changers that were there in the outer court was a necessary function. I'm sure you've heard this before, right? Because the hundreds of thousands of people would make pilgrimages to Jerusalem from all over the Roman Empire and beyond, okay? There were Jews from Spain all the way to what was then the Persian Empire. And they, if they could, would make pilgrimages to Jerusalem. And if you had the coinage of wherever you came from, there were pictures on it, right? There were graven images on the coinage. Some of them were pagan gods. So you can't get that money into the temple. And let's say you want to sacrifice a sheep, okay? 
you're not going to carry a sheep on your lap all the way from Gaul, right? You need, they were performing a necessary function. What's interesting also about this story is that in the Synoptic Gospels, you may remember Matthew, Mark, and Luke, when does this action happen? It happens right after Palm Sunday, or depending on the Gospel, it either happens on the day of Palm Sunday or the next day, the last week of Jesus' life. And the implication is this is part of what gets them killed. It's a big part of what gets them killed, right? But in John's Gospel, it's at the beginning of his ministry. Now, why is that? Well, I think John is a brilliant, um, what one scholar calls theological historical writing. In other words, John is not merely writing a biography of Jesus. Matter of fact, none of the gospels are biographies. I know people are often frustrated. Well, what was Jesus doing, you know, when he was 10? You know, what was his major in high school? What position did Jesus play on the team? Well, you know, those are, we had those curious things. <laughs> what was his relationship really like with his mother? Right? We've got all these kind of modern interests about biography. The Gospels are not doing that. But John's Gospel, even more so than the other ones, but the other ones are doing as well, is a theological interpretation of Jesus' life. Written probably 50-some years afterwards. So it is two generations of thinking about the meaning of Jesus and reflecting on these stories. What do they really mean? The other thing, and this is really important, the writer, the community of John's gospel, actually we should believe this too, okay? But they believe that Jesus was alive in their midst and still speaking to them. So this isn't a story about a dead prophet, this is the living word of God speaking to our lives here and now. So, and I encourage you to go back and read this on your own, own because compacted in a few verses, John is, is actually giving you a, a preview and a summary of Jesus's ministry. This is from David Ford. So Jesus integrates the cleansing of the temple, Passover, I mean, John, I'm sorry, John integrates the cleansing of the temple, Passover, Jesus speaking of God as his father, the destruction of the temple, questions about sign and authority, conflict with Jerusalem Jews, and his death and resurrection. All of these events happen in these few verses. This is the cliff notes, if you would, of the life of Jesus. And so the layers of this event are so powerful. Now, Jesus, or the writer of John, is pretty clearly saying that Jesus replaces the temple. And this has been used as a way of kind of saying that Christianity has supplemented Judaism. But we need to remember, when John is written, the temple is gone. I mean, Jews for hundreds of years have already been creating a piety apart from the temple. Remember, the first temple was destroyed in 587. So just like rabbinical Judaism places the piety of the temple in the synagogue and even more so in the home, the home becomes the new center of the worship of God in the Jewish tradition. The Jews who follow Jesus 
are collapsing all that into Jesus. Matter of fact, in the book of Revelation, when there's a new Jerusalem, one thing is missing from the new Jerusalem in the Revelation. In the book of Revelation's vision of New Jerusalem is based on Ezekiel. But in the New Jerusalem, in the book of Revelation, there is no temple. Why is there no temple? Because the people of God are the temple. The body of Christ is the temple. The sacrifices have been made. The Lamb of God has been slain. The people of God are the temple of God. God dwells in their midst. By the way, that's what we believe about the Holy Spirit. Okay? Where two or three of us are gathered together, that's where Christ is. You all, that's what the Greek actually, Greek is, is um, you, us, you plural. You all are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Jesus talks about my father's house. And he's already been called the Lamb of God. Matter of fact, there's even this sense where when he talks about um, he came and tabernacles with us, that's the same word that's used for the tabernacle, the Greek word that's used for the tabernacle, where when the Jews were traveling in the wilderness, God was. And later on, the verses 1920, when it talks about him abiding with us, the word is the same that talks about the Holy of Holies. So God with us in Jesus is bringing us into the life of God. That empty space in both Solomon's and Herod's temple that represented a God who, who was above and beyond us, that empty space is now Jesus in our midst. And so part of the thing about the cleansing of the temple is that Jesus is reminding us that we need to be careful that we don't, in the name of religion, put stuff in the way of us really loving and being loved by God. Christ is God with us. Jesus in his death will forgive all that keeps us from God. And the whip, I remember as a kid, yeah, because sometimes we reduce Christianity to moral, to ethics, right? That's been part of the Enlightenment Project. Religion's okay as long as it's over here and we're making good boys and girls. That's kind of the minimization of, of, of faith. I remember in Sunday school, as we were being told, and I, she, I, I can still hear her voice. Now, boys and girls, it was in West Virginia, you need to be nice and not be angry. Okay, so you're shaking her head. And then they read the story about Jesus with a whip. I was always trying to wrap my mind around, now boys and girls, don't be angry, and Jesus with a whip. Sometimes I think they, you know, I saw him like with a whip going, come on guys, come on guys. But that's not what Jesus was doing. He was angry. God isn't safe, but God is good. You know, we're coming into Lent, and it could be a time for us to do some spring cleaning of our souls. What clutter is in your life and in your minds that are obstacles for God being with you? What do you have in the courtyard of your temple that makes it hard for you to live with the living God? 
I like this last thing that he says. Um, People believed in him because of the signs he was doing, but Jesus, for his part, would not entrust himself to them because he knew all people. He needed no one to testify about him, for he knew what was in the heart of a human. He knew what the measure of a man and a woman was. You know, Martin Luther King once said, the ultimate measure of a man is not where he stands in moments of convenience and comfort, but where he stands in times of challenge and controversy. They believed in Jesus because they saw the signs, but Jesus didn't trust them. Giving people what they think they need, telling people what they want to hear, might make one popular. It might even give, get you elected or promoted. But it only leads people deeper into the dark. I see where the produ- a production of Heinrich Ibsen's An Enemy of the People is in New York right now. And the story of the enemy of the people is Dr. Thomas Stockman is kind of the um, medical officer in charge of the spa community. And the spa is what people come to, um, to, you know, to, for, to the healing power of the spots in the late 19th century. And people are getting sick. And the whole town is based upon this spa. And so he tests the water and he determines that it's polluted. It's the water that people come to be healed and to be refreshed is making everyone sick. And so everyone celebrates. He found the solution. And everyone says, he's the champion of the people. Until he says, we have to shut it down. And, and the play ends with a mob outside of his house. You don't know what's going to happen. Screaming that he's an enemy of the people. He told them an inconvenient truth. We need to constantly allow Jesus to repair, redeem, and renew our minds. And sometimes renewing our minds means we have to have our minds changed. Sometimes it feels like comfort, and sometimes it's painful. It's like the nature of healing. Okay? Right now, hip feels good, thigh not so much. Because <laughs> it's healing, right? That's the process of healing. But that's what God wants to do. The gospel needs to define us. Not the other way around. Jesus wants to kick over some of the tables in our lives because he loves us. We should let him. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen and amen. Let's stand together and say what we believe in the words of the Apostles' Creed.